finished off yesterday by talking about the, the conversation about the um, how come you're allowed to give the, the, the tonight. of the of the animal that was shechted and yamtav? How come you're allowed to throw it to the cat? It does not become mukta because you knew beforehand. Yeah, where's the instant? From the table. Wayne, I'm going to mute you. Okay. Oh yeah, thanks. Sorry. We knew beforehand. We knew beforehand that it was gonna it was gonna get a set, you know, gross on Yamtiv. So therefore, you were always intending to throw it to the cat even before Yamtiv began. Um, okay. So let's see. Um, that's the top line of the page. So Hakinami Mustavra. So it, the Gemara is saying like this: It's likely to say that Rava, the Rava, Rabbi Yehuda that Rava agrees to Rabbi Yehuda. The Darish Rava, because Rava made a drasha. A woman cannot go into the um, the base ha'etzim like the the witch said, right? She shouldn't go to the witch said to take out an ud. An ud is um, uh, normally we translate ud as like a brand, like a, but I don't think that's what it means over here. I think it means something else. It means a poker. Actually, a poker. Yeah, because it wouldn't make sense in this context. Normally we say ud ud mutzal min ha'esh, right? That's what we refer to. Um, uh, Uzia, Uzia's um, kids who went off the Darach basically after after witnessing the the uh, destruction of Beisamikdash, we call them that they're a, a brand saved from the fire. That we almost can't blame them for for gone, we're going off the Darach, right? So okay, but either way, I guess over here it means poker, like a, a, the the wood that you would use to stick the fire, you know, to, next to poke the fire. An ud that has broken. So initially it was meant to be used as a poker. And then it breaks on yamtif. You're not allowed to use it as fuel on yamtif. Why? Because the halach is you're allowed to, uh, you know, use it as kindling a, a piece of wood that is an actual vessel still, but a piece of wood that is no longer a vessel. It's a broken vessel. So no longer has a purpose on yamtif. It no longer has a purpose on yamtif. It's mukta. You're not allowed to handle it even for the sake of making a fire. Shmamina. So how do we see how do we see from this like Rav Yehuda? Let me let me just go back to the previous Ahmed as I'm trying to remember what that quote of Yehuda's position was that we're referring to over here. Let's see. Yehuda. Rava was the one who said that you're allowed to Rav was the one who said that you're allowed to um one second. That you're allowed to Remember the Rava Kirvi fine, okay, good, right. So basically, Rava was the one who said that you're, in general, we think that Rava Hotel Kirvi says that when something first becomes accessible in a specific fashion on Yom, then you're not allowed to handle it. It's Mukta. So then we asked, well, if Rava holds that way, and that's why he held that you're not allowed to throw this um, the meat to the dog, and the only reason why the meat is not Mukta is because you can use it for chewing purposes. Well, if that's so, then why does Rava say you could throw the chicken? So, not the chicken, but the the uh, the, the chicken um, entrails to the to the um, the cat. So we said because that already you had intention to use before Shabbos, and we said it's likely that Rava holds like Yehuda, because Rava also said that in this case of using a poker, you're only allowed to use it as kindling if it had not yet broken. But if it broke, you're not allowed to use it as kindling because it's a new situation in Yamtif that you did not have in mind before Yamtif that you would be moving it. Okay, new Mishnah. This is a, a very important halacha that I think is not not well known. That you are allowed to remove the um, the bones and klipin and the the shells of um, nuts, right? 
what you're what you do according to Beis Hillel, and this is how we paskin. You're not allowed to actually pick up the bones and the shells on Shabbos. They're mukta. You have to actually, you know, let's say take off the the, the the board that's on top of the table, or let's say in our example, you would take, let's say, a plastic tablecloth and you could fold the whole thing up, or you could take the whole tablecloth and bring it over to the garbage and shake it off in a way that you could um, then put it in the garbage. However, you are not allowed to actually pick up the shells because nuts and shells are mukta, they, they have no purpose at all on, on Chavez, right? Um, you're allowed to take off from the table perurin, like crumbs of bread, if they're less than a kezayas. You're also allowed to remove the, um, the leftover, the, the adashim and afunim are peas, and, um, and adashim are like uh, are beans, I guess. And basically, they come in a, a pot, right? So you're allowed to remove the pod that no longer has a food in it. Why are you allowed to move those? Those are different. Even my soul says you're allowed to move them because those you can still feed to an animal. Now, by the way, it, it, there are people who eat the crumbs, right? There are people who, uh, you know, they, they like the crumbs of the bread, right? And not just Holocaust survivors. Some people just like the crumbs. So for those people, obviously, that's not going to be mukta. I want them to ask the question about um, the, the way to open up a pistachio. Uh, if the pistachios are, are closed tightly, the best lever, incredibly, uh, works out very, very well, is to use an, an old pistachio shell to open up the next one. That one time I asked the Shiloh when I was learning this again in Lakewood, I asked a couple of Rabbanim. Nobody was willing to say that a pistachio shell is allowed to be used to open up another pistachio on shops. Nobody was willing to say that. The most that we, I got people to agree to is that if you set aside a pistachio shell before Shabbos with the intention of using it as a lever to open up a pistachio, that indeed you'd be permitted to handle. But when you already open the one pistachio on Shabbos to use that pistachio shell for the sake of opening up another one that you're not allowed to. Svig, um, you have a, a sponge, right? Rabbi, yeah. go ahead. You, you can, sorry to interrupt you, but you can shake off the, the tablecloth, you take it and shake it into the, into the garbage. Yes, no matter what size. No, but no matter what size crumbs are on the tablecloth? Correct, correct. That you're allowed to do. You're allowed to take it and shake it straight into the garbage. You're not handling the, the mukta item. You're handling something that is handling the mukta item. As we've seen, oh. like in the previous Mishnah, when we said you could pick up the barrel and then shake right. off the, the, the stone that's on it. So that's similar to picking up the tablecloth. Then you can take the tablecloth and also shake it off on the ground and sweep it up then, according to most people. Because sweeping an item off of the floor, according to most people, is not an issue. According to some, maybe even sweeping a mukta item might be problematic. But according to most, in this case, that would be okay. Um, so you have a spike. or If it has a leather, a besachiza, a handle to grasp onto it. Then, you're allowed to actually use the sponge, right? I'm not sure what sort of material this is made out of, right? It's not, not the sponge that we have today, but it's a similar type of material that it has water inside it. And then as you as you squeeze it then or grasp it too tightly, you're going to cause the water to come out. So let's say you have a spike. If it has a handle on the, on the sponge, so then you're allowed to use it to wipe down the table because through wiping down the table, you're not automatically going to be causing the water to come out of the handle. Uh, coming out of the, oh, there you go. Perfect. That's a great example. I don't know, I don't know if that's exactly what the mission had in mind, but it's certainly the same idea. Um, however, if it does not have a handle on it, then you're not allowed to use it on Chavez. Some say no matter what, you're allowed to handle it on Shabbos, and it does not make Kabbalah Tumah. 
but it's not considered to something that could become tummy because it's not considered to be a vessel that could become tummy. Omer of Nachman. Nachman says, Anu ein lanu We we the only way that we can explain our mission is to say that Beishamai holds like the opinion of Rebbe Yehuda, right? And Beisilo holds like Rebbe Shimon, that that were more makel, that were more um, or more lenient. I'm a little confused though. Beisilo was actually the more machmer one over here. I'm confused. Let me go back to the mission for a second. Beishamai Ramavirin, Yalas Shulchan, Atamas Uklipin, Beisilo Ramasalikas Atav Lakula. Rebbe Yehuda is the more lenient, more stringent one. Uh, there's something wrong about this. Oh, excuse one second. Let me see if this has changed anything. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> That's what Taisa says. Okay. <laughs> it just, just to speak out what was bothering me. Um, the Bishami in the Mishnah says you're allowed to actually remove the, the, the shells and the, the bones by handling them directly. Myself says you're not allowed to. You have to take off the, the actual top of the table or you know, do something of that nature where you're not touching that directly the shells or the bones. But it comes along Rav Nachman and says that Bishamay follows the position of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda is the more stringent opinion when it comes to Mukta. Basil follows the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, the more lenient position, which doesn't work out because it's not actually true. In the Mishnah, Basil is the more stringent one. So so um Taisa says, one second, in Masakis Idias, right, we have a list of all of the stringencies of Beis Hillel versus the leniencies of Beis Damai. And in that list, we don't include our Mishnah as one of those instances. He says it must be because the, the, our Mishnah, the Mishnah that we have in front of us, probably has it backwards. And the Mishnah in Idias probably had the same girsa as Rav Nachman had, right? So Rav Nachman's girsa in our Mishnah clearly was that Beis Hillel was more lenient, Shammai was more stringent. In which case, it wouldn't be listed as one of those examples because it's not a case where Shammai is more lenient and Beis Hillel is more stringent. Okay. Um, can you guys hear that drummer in the background? No. Okay. No. You remove from the table uh, crumbs. This the proof if you have a if you have a uh, a crumb that does not have a it's not a it's not a, a kazayas size you're not allowed to destroy them with your own hands why are you not allowed to destroy them it says you should remove them with your hands but you shouldn't actually throw them away the implication is that you're not supposed to throw them away this is, comes from the idea of being very careful with bread right the Gemara says that if you're not careful with bread, you'll lose your money. Right? Which, uh, the idea being that the bread, you're showing a lack of, uh, not sensitivity really, but a lack of thankfulness to Hashem for giving bread to the world. And they, when we talk about bread, you know, even today in, um, in uh, you know, modern terms, we say, you know, the guy, the guy has to bring home some bread, right? We don't, we don't necessarily dough, right? We don't mean, we don't mean the, in terms of actual bread or actual dough, we mean cash, right? So bread is sort of a stand-in for cash. Well, if you're going to be completely um, lack of respect, completely disrespectful to the bread, then you're liable to lose your money. So you're not supposed to cause it to be, uh, be destroyed with your hand. And that's, I think that's what Rashi's point is. Let me see Taisvis's point. Um, just a, just a, a cross-cultural uh, um, thing here. The Japanese have exactly the same attitude towards rice. If you... Right, if, with, towards rice. Towards rice, so that makes sense, yeah. In, 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 uh, in, I don't know how people are nowadays, now that Japan is such a rich country, but in a traditional proper society, wasting rice is a sign that you've been improperly brought up. Right, 
right? That makes sense, yeah. I mean, so, so re- really, we're very careful about this, by the way. An interesting halacha. But if you have a piece of bread that went stale, you're not supposed to throw it into the garbage straight. Either you're supposed to wrap it up and then put it in the garbage, or you're supposed to break it into pieces that are less than a kezaya size and then, and then put it in the garbage. And even then, some people will break it into pieces less than a kezaya and, and still cover it with another bag before they stick it in the garbage. No, you, you, okay. br- you, break, you break it up and make uh, breadcrumbs for schnitzel. That's, that's your other option. That is your other option. That's the right attitude in life. Mani, who's the author who says that you're allowed to uh, to take the 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 uh, they're called I guess the shells. Um, what are they? The pods. I guess the pods. So you're allowed to take the pods of the peas and the beans. You're allowed to take them and um, and and you're allowed to handle them at Shabbos because they're food for animals. Mani, who's this opinion of Shimini? The Leslie Muktza. This is Rav Shimon, who does not hold of Muktza, right? As we have said in the past, it doesn't mean that he doesn't hold of Muktza at all. It means that he does not have quite as, as a stringent a, a understanding of Muktza. Ema Seifa, the problem is that the end of the Mishnah says, If it has a handle on it, then you're allowed to use it to clean up the table with on Shabbos. But if it does not have a handle, you're not allowed to use it to wipe up the table. This should be the opinion of Rabbi Huda. Let's explain what this means. We've got we've come to this machlekes Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon multiple times already in Shabbos, and the question is like this: When you're doing an action, and your intention of doing an action is to create a specific consequence, there is an unintended consequence, right? The unintended consequence in this circumstance is that you're going to cause the water to get squeezed out, which is schita, which is squeezing. You're not allowed to squeeze out something on Shabbos. So your intention is just to wipe down the table, and the moisture that's sitting on the surface of the sponge is really sufficient to wipe down the table. But if you're going to be holding on to the sponge itself and not to the handle, it's inevitable that you're going to cause the water to get squeezed out. Right? So with the Gemara, oh my gosh, sorry about that. So so what the Gemara is saying is um, that that clearly we see that the Mishnah is really the opinion of Yehuda, not the opinion of Rav Shimon. Because how do we see it's Rav Yehuda and not Rav Shimon? Because we say that it's a davar shemis chavin. And it's still forbidden. If it wasn't, if it, if the Avashim Ischaven was mutter, then why do we talk about a case where you have to have a handle or else you're not allowed to hand, or else you're not allowed to use this sponge on Shabbos? Even if it does not have a handle, you should be allowed to use the sponge on Shabbos. This is Avashim Ischaven. The consequence of causing the water to be squeezed out is not intentional. And we're going to go to the same answer that we've said multiple times. Also, over here, even if Shimon would agree that it's forbidden to handle this, this uh, handle-less sponge, why? The Bayavarava, the Amir Tavaya, Bayavarava both say, They both say that Rashimin agrees that if you have a psik ratio of Alayamas, that if you cut off the head of a chicken and it doesn't die, is that even possible? Of course, it's not possible. And therefore, even if Shimon agrees that a Dabrashim is Chavin, doing an act which has an unintentional consequence, if it's an inevitable consequence, it's still forbidden to be done. So to use a sponge with no handle at all, when you use it, it's inevitable to cause water to squeeze down. Let's say you have the, the pits of dates that are from um, Arami, basically, from Aram, right? Uh, I think Aram is, we associate like with uh, like North, like Lebanon, basically. You're allowed to handle these dates on Shabbos. Sorry, not the dates, the, the, the pits of the dates. You're allowed to handle them on Shabbos because they were able to be used before Shabbos. In other words, the date itself was set aside before Shabbos for food for animals. Since the date itself was set aside for food before Shabbos for animals, so the pit also can be handled on Shabbos food for animals now. Oh, the Parsiasa, right? The ones from, from Persia, the, the, the Parsian ones are Asr. 
You're not allowed to handle the date pits on Shabbos because the date themselves are really supposed to be eaten by people. And the date pits are not, use, not really uh, usable for people. So therefore, since they were already set aside for people, the date itself, and the pit cannot be used for people, so the pit is not considered muhan prepared to be eaten by animals on Shabbos. Shmuel. Wait, 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 wait. So these, Persian, these Persian dates, they're set aside to be eaten by people when? Not on, on Shabbos. Shabbos. No, oh, on on Shabbos. Yeah. Okay. The, so the you actual can, date. The actual you date. You eat the date and spit out the pit? Exactly. Okay. Shmuel Matal So Shmuel said that you can handle the, the, the pit if you have a piece of bread together with it. Then you're allowed to handle the pit on top of the piece of bread. Shmuel Tamei. Dharma Shmuel. Shmuel is according to his reasoning. Dharma Shmuel. Shmuel says, You could do all of anything that you need to do on Shabbos. You could do it through using bread to handle the item. Rabba Matal Agav Demaya. Rabba would be able to carry them with a, a bucket full of water. Basically, he would take the pit and he would, he would take the date, he would eat the date, and he would spit the pit out into a bucket full of water, then he would be able to handle the bucket because the bucket had water in it. Ravuna made it into a situation where it was like Graf Shal Rei. Graf Shal Rei is a chamber pot. The chamber pot is full of, of uh, you know, junk, right? Of, of, uh, of human excrement, right? Since it's full of human excrement, it can be handled on Shabbos. Why? There's no real purpose for it. However, it is so gross that, that everybody agrees that human excrement can be moved away. So on Shabbos, even though you can't normally handle it if it has no use, but for this thing, for the sake of getting the gross thing away from you, you're allowed to do it. Now, it's not just graf shel rei. It's also things that are in a similar category. So for example, if you have a dirty chalan pot on Shabbos afternoon, it's going to get really smelly and gross, right? So technically, you have no real use for it right now, right? And maybe the space that it's sitting on, you don't need either. So maybe you're not allowed to handle it at all. Maybe it's mukta. Well, if it's going to get gross and make you sick, and that will fall into the category of Graf Shalrei, and you'd be allowed to move it to get it out of sight, out of mind. One second. Are you allowed to set up a situation that on Shabbos you're going to take items and pile them up in a way that's going to become gross, that then you'll be considered a scenario of Graf Shalrei, of a chamber pot of, of, of excrement? Like like Earl Paul set up, that basically Rosh Hashanah would eat it, and while he's eating it, he would he would spit it out of his mouth like a baseball player with a sunflower seed. Papa would uh, would just throw it behind the the bed that he was lying on while he was eating. They said about Zachary ben Abdullah. Zachary ben Abdullah was a very refined person, and he would turn his head behind the couch, and then he would uh, and then he would you know spit it out behind the couch in a way that's more proper. Okay. If you have a um, a, um, a barrel of wine that broke on Shabbos, we said earlier that you're allowed to save from it the amount of wine that you need for three meals. The people come and save the amount that you want. Actually, it's like, however, you're not allowed to sponge it up, right? Um, so eventually you can't you can't um you can't cause it to be you can't when you're gathering that wine you can't do it in a way that's gonna sponge up the wine because if you do that then you might end up coming to squeeze out the the thing that you use to, to salvage that wine you might come to squeeze it out in the future and therefore Hazal did not permit you to do that. You're not allowed to squeeze out fruits to bring out from it the, the drinks the the juice. If they come out on their own they are forbidden to benefit from the juice that comes out on from fruits on their own on Shabbos forbidden to benefit from. We'll see that's not true about all fruit juices. 
If it's the type of food that was being stored for the purposes of eating the food and not for the sake of creating a juice from that food, then that which comes out from it is permitted if you didn't do it intentionally and just ended up coming out. You know, it's just seeped out because it was sitting in its own uh, weight. In Lamashkin, but if it's something that was being stored specifically for in the future to be juiced, then that which comes out from it on Shabbos is forbidden to benefit from on Shabbos. Let's say you have a honeycomb that you crushed it or squeezed it on Friday afternoon, and then later on the honey comes out later by itself, it slowly oozes out. That's true, and you're forbidden to benefit from it. Eliezer says it is permitted to eat it when it comes out on Shabbos. Tana. We learned in You're not allowed to, to sponge up the wine and you're not allowed to mitapeach um, means to smear it basically. That what you would do is you would basically pick up the wine, with, pick up the oil with your, I guess with your hands. Let me see, Rashi. Pick up the oil with your hands and then, and then cause it, yeah. Machnas bite. You take your palm, Vashem and Nidbakba, and your the oil is gonna get stuck onto your palm, right? You get connected to your palm. And and then it will end up happening is then you'll wipe it off on the on the head of a vessel. Right. So maybe you'll keep on doing that. So they forbade you to do that on Shabbos. Why? We don't want you doing things the way that you do them during the week, right? It's very important that you don't think the way you do them during the week. We learned in a bicep. If your fruits have been scattered in the chatzar, in the courtyard, you're allowed to gather them one by one into your hand and eat them, but you're not allowed to gather them up in, into a basket, and not into a box. You should not do things the way you do during the week. There's a, it, it's a pretty critical perspective about Shabbos, right? Technically, there are ways to do things on Shabbos that, you could do it in a completely permitted way on a Torah level, but it'll end up being, it, it won't be a Shabbos experience at all, right? So it might be permitted, but this is what Chazal recognized. And according to one, one of the possible reasons why Mukta, the entire institution of Mukta, was instituted for this very reason, that uh, we don't want things to be done on Shabbos the way they're done during the week. So that's why they instituted Mukta, because people were being too, too lax about the entire Shabbos atmosphere. In Sechot Nesav Eretz, you're not allowed to squeeze our fruits. Amar Yudah Meshmol, Yehuda agrees that in a scenario of zesim and anavim, right, olives and grapes, that even if you were storing it for the sake of eating those olives and grapes and not planning on squeezing out the juice, if the juice falls out of it, by, you know, oozes out, seeps out on its own, it's still forbidden to be used, right? This is basically the halacha that we have today. There's three different categories of fruits for, for, um, for the purposes of this, of this uh, experiment, right? So if you have the type of fruit zesim and anavim, olives and grapes, since the highest possible um, production of olives and grapes is oil and wine. So therefore, that's always considered, whether that was your intention or not, it's always considered to be the highest possible uh, intention to squeeze it out for that purpose. And therefore, if, it's, if, it, if it seeps out even without anybody's intention, without anybody's actual action, it's still forbidden to benefit from, those, from that juice. But then we get to a different category of a fruit that, let's say, an orange. Sometimes you eat orange, sometimes you squeeze out an orange. Then it's going to be defined by, well, what was, did you, is it the type of orange that you were intending to squeeze out? Was it the type of orange you were not intending to squeeze out? Then you have like a watermelon. Almost nobody ever drinks watermelon juice or let's say a tomato. It's rare, I think, maybe not so rare if you're hungover, but to, to drink a, to, to take a tomato and squeeze it for tomato juice, right? So those cases, it's permitted no matter what your intention was.
my time, what's the reason? Even though it's chita nenu, yav day. So since it's something which is almost inevitably set aside for chita, for squeezing purposes, it's like you really were thinking to, it's like you really were thinking to yourself that you might end up using the oil and the, and the must to end up making some sort of a juice out of it. So you can't say, well, it wasn't my intention to do that. So since you, you probably were always thinking that maybe you want to use the oil if it comes out, so you can't say that you always intended to use the, the fruits solely for food purposes, since you might have also wanted to use it for a liquid purposes. Therefore, Chazal made a takana. You can't even benefit from the juice that seeps out without your intention, because if you did benefit from that, you might come to squeeze it out initially on Shabbos. Ula Marav, Chalakai Rabu, the Apazesmanav. And Ula says the name of Rav that Rabbi Huda argues, even in the case of, of olives and grapes, still says it's permitted as long as you intended to eat it and not to drink out the juice. In other cases, is not like in the case of olives and grapes. In other words, by olives and grapes, you are more stringent than even if you intended to eat it and not to drink it, we still say you're not allowed to eat the juice that, that seeps out. He says once again the opposite way. Rabbi Huda agrees to Chamin by a case of olives and grapes. One second, then what's the Malpegas? Oh, very good. <laughs> okay. I'm like Rabbi Yirmiyah Rabba. Very proud of myself. I'm like Rabbi Yirmiyah Rabba. Elba, my If so, then what are they arguing about? Why are we setting it up as, as two different opinions? It's really the same thing. Amalei Lechitishkach says, if you if you did a good job checking into it, you would figure out the answer yourself. Amram Nachman Yitzchak Mastabra, the Tutim Rimayinim Pligi. There's a middle category. The middle category is Tutim. Tutim, um, a tutsad that is a, is a strawberry. Um, a, a tut is some sort of berry, and remainim are pomegranates, right? So that's a case where there's machlekes. Why? Let's now there are three categories that I was just mentioning. The tanya we learned in the brayso. If you have a, a, a olive that you caused the oil to be to be um, drawn out of it, or, or grapes that the wine came out of, and and you um and you had brought in the these items, whether it was for the purposes of eating, whether it's for the purpose of creating a juice from them. That which comes out from it is forbidden, no matter what. If you have um, uh, you know, some sort of berry that the, that the water came out of, that the, not really water, but you know, the, the, the juice of it came out of it, or the juice, but over here it, it's a pomegranate juice, which is more of a thicker type of fluid, and therefore we call it liquid, therefore we call it like wine. And you brought it in intentionally for storage purposes, for food items, and not for drink items. It is permitted to drink from it, even if it came out on Shabbos. But if you brought it in without saying, if you, if you brought it in with the intention of ending up squeezing, or with the intention of eating it straight, and everybody agrees that it's forbidden to benefit from the drink that you brought in. So what do we have over here now? We, everybody agrees that Ezeisim and Navim are always forbidden to, to get from the juice that's seeped out on Shabbos. And everybody agrees that, um, that other types of vegetables that are other types of fruits that are never, never eaten, they're never used, you never squeeze out the, the juice in them. Everybody agrees that you are permitted to benefit from if it squeezes out unintentionally, if it seeps out on its own. The case is the middle case where sometimes people use it for drinking, sometimes people use it for eating. Over there, Rabbi Huda says, well, then it depends on your intent. The Chamasei does not depend on your intent. It's still good. So Rabbi Huda stamas, because Rabbi Huda say that if you did not have any intention at all, you didn't have any thought in your mind, then it's still forbidden. But then we learned in the Mishnah. Chalavei Isha, 
you have a uh, the milk of a woman it causes an item that it drips onto to be susceptible to becoming tame, whether the, the intention of the woman was to the, you know to express the milk using an action or whether it just dripped out without even any intention to drip it out right um, however the milk of an animal that drips onto a food item only renders it susceptible to become tame if you did it on purpose the milk of a woman is only set aside for animal for, I'm sorry for young children and not for older people whether it was her intent for the milk to come out whether it was not her intent for the milk to come out it still will make it susceptible the, the milk of an animal that is eaten by both children and by adults in other words it's more clearly a beverage so then of course it should be able to render something susceptible to tuma. just to explain what I don't remember if, uh, how recently we did this topic previously but basically you have a, a an item that is a, a food item, a produce item. It's only able to become tame once a liquid has touched that food item after it was detached from the ground. If a liquid has touched it, one of certain liquids, then it can become ritually impure. If liquid did not touch it, then it cannot become ritually impure. Well, the question is, the liquid has to touch it somewhat intentionally. That's the assumption. But over here we see that if the woman's milk touches it, even if the woman's milk came out unintentionally, it still will make it susceptible to tuma. So certainly milk of a cow, that everybody drinks in is more clearly a beverage to render it susceptible to tumma. Is it not obvious that it should, because it become possible, render it susceptible to tumma, whether it is uh, intention, intentionally milking the cow or unintentional? That's not a good proof. Because guess what? A woman is on a higher level of holiness. And because she's on a higher level of holiness, the blood that comes from her is going to render something tame. I'm sorry, not render. It itself is tame. The, the, um, therefore, the tame chalav. Therefore, her milk can render something else susceptible to becoming tame. But chalav um, abehema, yatame, so, but chalav abehema is a different category. Chalav abehema should make something tame even though you did not intend for that milk to be, the cow to be milked over this scenario. If a cow has, has blood coming from its womb, it's not going to, it's not going to become tame, right? And so, so certainly, so we see that the cow's um, production of the cow, their items that come from the cow do not necessarily render things tame. Items that come from the woman render things tame at a higher level. Amalahen, Akiva says to them, He says, I'm more stringent when it comes to milk than I am with dam. Right? In other words, what he's saying is that the fact that the cow's milk the fact that the cow's blood doesn't make something tame, but the cow's milk does make something tame. Now, how do we know that he's more stringent? If somebody is milking a woman, not milking a woman is not really the proper way to say it, but that's basically what the language that the Gemara uses. But as someone who, a woman who is, who is expressing milk on Shabbos for the sake of Rafua, right, she doesn't want to get sick, or a, a cow that's being milked on Shabbos for Rafua purposes, tame, the milk is going to make something tame. However, if someone is blood-led, for the sake of making somebody healthier, then it does make tahar. So we see from here that milk can be more stringent than blood. So the fact that a woman's, a woman's um, blood, I'm sorry, a cow's blood doesn't become tame, that's not a proof that therefore her milk doesn't become tame. Maybe the milk still could become tame. He says, baskets of olives and grapes will disprove this point. Why? The the uh, the drinks the the liquids that come out from a basket of grapes or olives they will make something tame 
whether it was coming out, um, if it's coming out Larutzen, it will make something Tameh. If it comes out without intention, then it will, it will not make anything Tameh. My love, just a tiny bit further, my love is it not Larutzen de Nichale? Is it not the case that when Larutzen means that the owner is happy that the, the juice came out of it? And where we say it was not intentional, is where he had no real thought about it one way or the other. He didn't care, right? It's still, it's going to be considered to be tar, ritually pure, because he did not intend for this to come out, and therefore we don't consider it a liquid that could render something susceptible to But if we talk about a case of olives and grapes, that they are in a category of things that are normally, the production of olives and grapes is normally to produce um, oil and wine. And still, in a case where you have no intention of, of using it, for the sake of olives, uh, for, for uh, oil and wine, but rather to eat them plain, then the is, you don't have to be concerned. When it comes to um, berries and uh, and uh, pomegranates, is it not then obvious that, um, that in the case of tutum and remainim, where it's not normally squeezed out for its juice, that of course over there it should not be something tame, if you, if not, sorry, of course it should not be a scenario that it should become forbidden to drink on Chavez because it's squeezed down on Chavez. If even Zizim and Anavim are not going to be an issue, then certainly Tutim and um, Tutim and Remainim should not be an issue. Our answer is Loi. Laratzan Bistama. Shaloi Laratzan de Galeadaite de Amar Leinichale. It's like this. The case of Stam, the case of where the owner did not say is the intending to eat or drink the pomegranate, that's a case of Stam, right? The shaloi l'ratzen means that he actually said explicitly, I will not use this other than for the sake of, um, of eating it straight, but not for the sake of its juice. But stam, where you did not it, it show us your intention at all, that we actually call a case of ratzen.